This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace with this Naked Mind podcast, and today I'm excited to have Don Nickel on. So Don and I met, what was it, almost two years ago? And At least. Oh, it's just so awesome to have you here. So let me let me say who you are, okay? So Don is the founder of She Recovers, which is this absolutely beautiful foundation, which I believe you founded with your daughter. Is that correct? Yeah, it, we, it's not a foundation. Actually, we have we're going to start a foundation in a few years, but it is it's an LLC, so it is a company, and I founded it, and then my daughter joined me about a year later. My daughter Taryn Strong, yeah. Oh, it's so cool. We and call so each other. We we say we're co-creators co-creators and yeah. um don also has a phd so super smart and you also work as a consultant in mental health of substance use disorder specifically and intimate partner violence all very loaded but important important topics and work and related and yeah massively related and mm-hmm. so i think what's so amazing about your business is specifically and why i really wanted to have you on here is your approach of just there's so many different paths and so many different roads and it's so incredibly beautifully inclusive and so you honor really all all methods oh absolutely I mean that's foundational I guess and I the premise for that I think was um, you know as a woman in recovery from substance use disorder for now 30 years about six years ago kind of what tipped us over into the she recover thing that's going on is about um, what is the year 2018? It's February 2011. It's seven years now. I've been saying six years for so long, but seven years ago, I hit the wall with workaholism. Wow. You know, I had been, you know, without, uh, you know, I'm a person who chooses abstinence and I don't use any drugs, anything that is mood or mind altering for me. It just wrecks my, wrecks, wrecks my day. Um, but about seven years ago, I found myself in a position of being as wired to work as I was to cocaine. I was just a disaster and I was burning out so fast. I mean, really, I, I look back and I had the same emotional bottom as I did when I was, when I stopped using drugs and went to rehab. And that was that my relationships were falling apart around me because of my use of work. You know, I was having anxiety attacks, panic attacks, you know, my, I mean, physiologically, my body was just screaming like, stop, and I couldn't stop. And it was just the same as if it was drugs. Um, so I hit the wall, like pretty hard. I ended up, I you know, had a pretty high pollutant job in government. And I, in, over a period of just a few days, on two occasions, I burst into tears at board table meetings. Like, <laughs> you know, and one was because my boss looked at me the wrong way. So yeah, there was a problem. And, and so the second time that, that happened, I drove home and was just, I actually don't remember driving home, but what I remember is pulling into my driveway and realizing that I had no recollection whatsoever of having driven home. And I could not even piece together the day that it just happened. I didn't know what day it was. I looked and I saw that I was dressed. I must have just come from work because I don't wear, didn't wear things like that just around the house or out in public. And I realized that I had been in a blackout and I had to come in the house, turn on my computer and look through all of the emails that had kind of that I'd sent and received and responded to that day. Um, And I I could not piece back. I couldn't get my memory back on that day. It was a complete and utter blackout. Um, And around that same time, my husband had practically stopped talking to me. And he, as he says, he like, well, I I was talking to you for like months, but you never answered. Like it was just, I didn't even hear him. And my daughters who had moved here to Victoria, BC, where we live in order to be with me, because when I moved here, I had cancer and, you know, they thought I was going to die. So they moved here to be with me. And then over the, you know, the next five years, I was just so enthralled with my work and so using it to escape some other stuff that had happened in my life. Um, that they were saying things like, why did we move here? Like, we saw you more when we lived 1,200 miles away. Like, what's going on here? So, but mostly it was the physical reason, you know, like that blackout really scared me. And, and the panic attacks that I'd had at work scared me. So the next day, I took Friday off, which was very unusual for me to ever take time off. And I went to the doctor and I said, something's going on here. Like, I think I'm losing my mind or, you know, maybe there's something wrong. Like I thought I had some sort of disease and maybe it was uh, like sudden onset of Alzheimer's. I didn't know. And of course she just kind of talked me through it and said, well, you're killing yourself with work and you're going to need to take some time off. And I said, okay, well I took today off. And she laughed and said, yeah, no, like we're probably talking a little longer than that. And I said like two days, three days, what? Anyway, I stayed off for four months. 
And in that time, I started to blog. I started a blog called Recovering Dawn. <clears throat> and I was blogging about workaholism and, you know, about codependency and about my, the cancer that I'd survived and, and the loss of my mother that I'd barely survived. You know, she passed away in 2000. And, and all of the things that I realized that I was recovering from. And it wasn't about um, substances then. It hadn't been for a long time. It was about all this other stuff. And I, I just started kind of talking about this idea that, and you know, it was new to me. It maybe wasn't new to other people. But to me, it was just this concept that, and it's the first principle in our guiding principles, is that we are all recovering from something. Mm. And that how we deal with the trauma or the issues that are driving us to the behaviors or the substances that are messing us up, you know, it's, it's all underlying stuff, right? That we have to, we have to find the inner happy. It, you know, we're not going to do very well with cutting out the substances and behaviors until we get kind of in touch with what's really going on for us. So at that time, um, I, I started the blogging and I was blogging every day. And for those of you who blog and write, and there's so many wonderful bloggers and writers in our recovery community, you can take hours to write a blog post, you know, and, and especially if you're a recovering perfectionist, which I am. So when I went to work back to work four months later, I realized I can't, I have to stop blogging because I don't have my four hours a day plus my eight hours at work. And I was really committed to going back to work and, and finding some balance. And I, I managed to do that. So I went back to work. I stopped blogging, but um, I had started a Facebook page, which I didn't even really know what Facebook was. I had to ask Taryn, my daughter, who's younger and hipper than I am. Like I had a, an account, but I said, what are these people? They're called fan pages. Like, why would I want a fan? That's so weird. She said, no, it's just a way of having the account that isn't your personal account. So I started She Recovers on Facebook. By then, I, you know, my thinking had evolved, and I really did start to see that it wasn't just about me. And Recovering Dawn had got me to this place where women were connecting with what I was saying. And so that made sense. And um, so I started the Facebook page. And I'd been back at work for about five months. And again, you know, my thinking is evolving. And by then I decided when I was off that what I really wanted to do was something with women in recovery. And I didn't know what that looked like yet. And I couldn't do anything. I thought maybe I'll become a recovery coach. But again, I couldn't train and work. You know, I, I, you know, I was just really sticking to my, um, to my plan of taking care of myself. Self-care became my best friend in those days. And it's still what I struggle with, but strive to achieve always is good self-care. And it looks very different for me than it does for anybody else, I'm sure. It's an individualized pathway too. Anyway, went back to work. And after five months of being back at work, um, government, the government that I worked for had major changes due to the economic downturn. And they dissolved my unit and gave me a year of severance. And it was like the greatest gift of ever. And I remember thinking two things when, you know, they, it was that horrible thing where they take you into a room and they take your Blackberry and I'm like, oh my God, they're taking my Blackberry. And they tell you you're done and then they kind of ex escort you out. It was really quite traumatic in and of itself. But as I was going down the elevator, I remember thinking, oh my God, what if this had happened? My first thought was, what if this had happened six months ago when I thought that I was my job? You know, that I thought this was my identity. This is everything I am. And so I decided that I was going to take it as what it was, you know, an opportunity from the universe to, to turn things around. So all that to say, I, I left, I went, you know, went back to Mexico, where I love and sat on a beach and pondered my life, decided to start a recovery coach training, professional recovery coach training program, which I did start. And at that same time, a good friend of ours, Sharon Lee, had moved down to the Mayan Riviera, and Taryn was, had completed some recovery coach, or sorry, recovery yoga. Uh, and we just got this idea to start a retreat for women in recovery. And by then, I kind of, you know, I still had this these loose concepts around what she recovers was it was a Facebook page and now it was going to be a retreat and that's all it was. But I really wanted to invite my two best friends, Sharon and Val, and neither of them were in recovery from substance use disorders. Um, you know, I don't need to tell you what one of them was recovering from a divorce, like a really uh, a shitty, shitty divorce. And the other one had um, struggled with codependency and um, chronic illness. And I just really wanted them to come and be a part of this retreat. So I thought, well, put your money where your mouth is. Like if you're all recovering from something, then you should not restrict this beautiful experience to women in recovery from substance use disorders. And so I invited them kind of as guinea pigs in part and because I love them more than anything. And it was just profound for me to watch how much it didn't matter what anybody there was recovering from. We weren't there for a week on the beach in Tulum 
talking about the cocaine or the heroin or the Chardonnay. You know, we were talking about our families and our kids and our hopes and our dreams and our goals and our bodies and our, you know, all of these other things. So um, I, yeah, we just kind of decided, well, let's do another one of these and let's just keep going. And I, I was then working as a consultant, which was much more self-paced than I had been in government. Uh, loving my work, loving the work I do to support most primarily social workers and healthcare workers to identify women who have issues with um, substance use, mental health issues, or intimate partner violence, just so that we can identify them so that we can actually offer them services that they need. Um, and it was just, it was wonderful. Things just kind of kept going along for a few years and I was doing, we were doing retreats. We did one in California. We started doing them here on the West Coast where I live. Um, and I was working full time and She Recovers was a passion project between Taryn and I. And then about two years ago, it got to the point where I came perilously close to where I had been back seven years ago, where I was full tilt with my passion project that paid nothing in the end of the day, right? And, um, and working full time at, at a career that I loved and that paid well but I couldn't continue to do both. And I had to make the decision, like what's more important to me. And I just had to go back to like, my passion is, is supporting women in recovery. My passion is she recovers. And so for the past two years, we've been trying to figure out a way um, to make a living at she recovers. And I'll tell you, we're not there yet, but, but we're getting there. You know, we, we've got some different projects going on and, you know, we were, we're exploring all sorts of, um, different opportunities to to bring in partners and to collaborate one of our other principles is collaboration not competition we're stronger together so yeah i know and anybody who's interested we have these you can't really see them here but we have this beautiful designed by our designer our 10 intentions and guiding principles and it it really just does talk about all of the um the things that i know you believe in right we're all recovering from something it's early intervention is one of our principles um, holistic recovery collaboration individualized pathways and patchworks, um, a strength-based approach. We focus on our strengths, not our defects. Um, making peace with our past so that we can live fully in the present. Connection, like the importance of connection and, and of inspiring and supporting other women, the paying it forward kind of principle. Um, radical self-care is one of our principles. And then when we're ready, we recover out loud so that women who are struggling can find and join our tribe. And, you know, I, I know that that one's scary for some people, and I just always say recovering out loud, and, and I've said this for long before the current movement, um, but recovering out loud is just sitting across from a woman who's sharing about her struggles, and you say to her, me too. That's recovering out loud, you know. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a jaunt through. That's so cool. <clears throat> I absolutely love Redirect it. me now. Redirect me. I'm all over the place. Get no, me that's great. I mean, there's so much there that I want to talk about. First of all, I just was really, you know, when we were first talking, you were really in the throes of developing those guiding principles and you knew what they were in your heart. And now you, you put them to paper and we'll put them in the, um, the blog post for this episode, because I think that they're so beautiful. And I think that you've just, uh, it, it really resonates so much with people. I, I want to talk about the workaholism because I feel like we so often, I mean, obviously my work so far is really with alcohol, but so quickly when you kind of put away one numbing agent, if you haven't done any of the work underneath it to say, well, why was I numbing? Why was I escaping? Why was I self-medicating in the first place? Something else quickly takes its place, right? And, yeah. and often um, there's some work by Karen Hornier and it basically says that we deal with things in one of three ways. Either we become sort of perfectionists and we just comply, you know, or we completely rebel and we get attention and, and significance in that way, or we become achievers. And, you know, you and I, I would say we're both firmly in the like achiever. Either so, end though. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you're in both, both of those things. But I think you do these things for this attention or for this need for significance um, to keep the people around you just to feel connected and not afraid. So it, it's always a form of protection, right? Mm -hmm. And when you are an achiever, it really disguises as something good, especially when you're achieving with something so profoundly cool as yeah. your business now she recovers. Right. And so what, what advice would you give to people? Because I think that the listeners are in for the most part in that category. I mean, the people who read my book, who write me letters, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're psychologists, they're teachers, they're nurses. You know, it is very high achieving people yeah. who, um, 
you know, alcohol was just something that they did as part of their job, as part of their career. And so I think there's a real danger into, I mean, I know it's true for me, you know, falling into that, that work pattern. Um, So what were the warning signs for you? Like what, what would you tell somebody who's like, okay, that sounds familiar to me. Like, I feel like my identity is wrapped up in my work. I feel like my identity is in my job. I feel like I can't be present with my kids because my mind is always Mm -hmm. in the, in the job. Well, I mean, it's the same because it's the same thing, right? I, I guess the, the, just like with alcohol or drugs, the indicate in my, in my experience, the indicators don't come from within, you know, if, if we're going to, if we're, if I'm counting on my brain to tell me how I'm doing, like, I'm good. Like I'm good. There's like there. And furthermore, like there's not very much stigma attached to workaholism. Like you're just, you're, you're knocking it out of the park. Look how much she works, how much she's accomplished, how much he, you know, how much he does for everybody, all of that stuff. Because workaholism isn't always about work. It's about dualism, right? People can keep just as busy taking care of their mother-in-laws and their grandkids and their, and everybody else. So it's more like dualism. And, you know, I mean, we could have a long discussion about the isms and whether we rely or subscribe to that language, but workaholism works for me in a way that I can get to, I can tell you that and you know exactly what I'm talking about without me just saying I overworked it's not it's like it's more than that and until I find the language that's I'm okay with workaholism so it's the external cues you know it's like somebody says to you I've been speaking to you for 30 minutes and you haven't heard me can you put can you close your computer for five seconds I just need to know like something important you know and 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 you don't want to really close it, but you do it anyway and think like, hurry up, you've already taken five seconds. Your five seconds is up. Um, it's physiological, it's the brain, right? It's like, I honestly think that work, my, my trend, my tendency towards workaholism is so tied to that adrenaline seeking. Like, I just, I, just, I wanna know, and like deadlines, oh my God, bring them on. I'm actually not a procrastinator anymore which I think procrastination used to kind of fill a certain need in my brain where I would procrastinate, I'd procrastinate, and then the adrenaline because I had to get it done. And I think now that I worked so hard on my procrastination, it's almost made things worse because now in order to fill that up, it's just like, now I don't just have to pick up that thing that I've been ignoring for a long time, but now I have to fill every minute and every slot with a whole bunch of stuff to get that same buzz at the end of the day, like, what? whoa, you know, like 100 emails, 14 conference calls you know? And I, you know, I don't say that lightly. I, you know, I actually am a lot better with, with my tendencies today, but that's what's driving me. Um, so yeah, I just, you know what we know, it's just like anything else. We know, we know when we're out of balance, it's just, we know it in a, in a place in ourselves that we have to get quiet enough to listen to, because if we're just listening to what's going on up here, we're not going to attend to that knowing. We're not going to let that knowing transform who we are. We're not going to reach out for the help that we need. Um, it's really that, interesting. That was my experience. When you say the indicators don't come from within, I feel like that is so true from like a thought-based perspective. Like you will always tell yourself you're okay. You yeah. know, um, I mean, I'm dealing with pretty serious sleep deprivation right now because of, you know, my baby daughter and every day. Oh, but I'm okay. But I'm okay. But I'm okay. Until all of a sudden I'm breaking down crying like at the breakfast table. And it's like, okay, but I'm not okay. And maybe I need to go take a nap. And I think that that's, you know, we, we just try to convince ourselves that we're okay. And I think a lot of it, and it's like this with alcohol, it's like this with any, anything that we're using is because the alternative is to put it away. Mm-hmm. And at that point when, you know, you're like one day off, two days off, you know, putting something away that provides that. And I think we're, we're more in danger probably now than ever before because there is an inherent dopamine rush, which is the same thing that happens with every single substance built into our emails, right? So you can check your emails, check your Facebook messages, check all your technology. So, you know, running a business back in the day, you might've been, you check the mail once a day, it would come in, you'd open your letters, you know, the phone might ring. But, and so those things still provided dopamine, but not at the level, like we've amped it up. And so unless you're really intentional about disconnecting or compartmentalizing, I'm gonna just check my email in the morning and in the evening, or doing some very, very specifically intentional things, you yeah. are subject to that ever occurring dopamine rush. So it's, it, it's not even your fault. Like it, 
is just something of how the tools that we use on a daily basis have been set up. And yeah. guess what happens is that with a drink, right, you have this spike and then it falls. And so almost as soon as you've finished your drink, your blood alcohol is starting to fall again. Um, but with technology, you can have 30 tabs open on your browser and you can have emails coming in and Facebook and you can go back and forth and keep the dopamine levels high all day long and effectively get nothing done. And yeah. <laughs> so my big thing right now has been like, okay, how can I actually slow down to speed up, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, you know, what I just, what I determined, and a lot of it was through my learning, I worked with a coach um, for a, my, the first year, kind of when I hit the wall with, with that workaholism thing. And yeah, I just, you know, I really, I figured out for me that quite frankly, I'm not going to achieve daily balance. I'm not going to like, you know, from the morning to night, I'm not going to, that's not, the way I am wired. And it's not just my business and how things, you know, I have to attend to things. Right now we've launched this major event in Los Angeles. I can't say, okay, I'm going offline for the next two days. I can't. But what I do now is I, I really do, I kind of, I go hard, but I take time to step back and relax all the time. Sometimes it's in the evening. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it is with, um, with other technology, you know, I just kind of went through, I caught, I had to catch up on a television program that I, I didn't have television. I was just in Mexico for two months. So, you know, so my downtime in this very, very busy time was to go to bed and watch This Is Us for a couple, <laughs> a couple of episodes of This Is And like, I was just so happy, right? Um, the other thing that I've done a lot of since I've been home and, and really busy is I, I've had, you know, I have grandchildren and I really, really try to be present with them. My granddaughter came for two and a half days last year, two full days and then one overnight. And I, you know, I did, I was like present to her and for her. That was my purpose. I was not working during those times. I wasn't even checking my email. Um, but then I put her to bed and I worked for the next four hours until midnight, you know? So the balance that I find is it's kind of just, it's over a period of time. And, and that's what, that's what works for me. I built, you know, I go to Mexico. We, we go for a couple of months of the year. I work from there, but in much more moderated work days. Um, we and have retreats. Idea, the idea of balance, by the way, like, can we just talk yeah. about that for a second? Because I have been told my whole life, well, you need to achieve some sort of work-life balance. And, and I, I just really recently was reading this book called The One Thing, which by the way, is a great book if anybody hasn't oh. read it. Um, and it just shoots that idea of balance. And it's so obvious when you think about it, but nothing, amazing was ever actually achieved through balance. It's really through moments of really peak creativity and then rest. So it's through a cadence of different activities. Like you're talking about like this time with my granddaughter and then this time at work and then this time with, you know, on the beach and then this time not through trying to balance it because guess what balance means? Balance means there isn't passion. There isn't the severe ups and downs. I mean, Thomas Edison, you think that was balance? you yeah. know, 10,000 tries to turn on, the, like that wasn't balanced. You know, yeah. was anything Einstein did balanced? Like, no, of course not. Like these are not balanced people. It, and so that idea, I, it was so freeing for me to think, because um, when I wrote my book, like I wrote it in two months. Do you think that was balanced? Like, yeah. no, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know? And, so and then you laid down and died, right? Right. But then I took some time off. Like then it was like, okay, well then now it's recovery yeah. from that period. So yeah. I guess just that was such a freeing concept for me is that I've been told for, since I became a professional at the age of 23. So like, what was that? Um, 16 years ago now that I need to strive for some sort of work-life balance and just to get that idea. I mean, certainly you need the cadence. You yeah. need the routines, yeah. you need the periods of rest and the periods yeah. of work. But to be able to balance things, I think is just almost unfair. It set me up for failure from the Right? Point. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I mean, that's not to say that during the course of a day, we have to, you know, drink our water. <laughs> we have to eat something, you know, we do have to get some sleep. Like that's the kind of balance that I, I'm down with that. You know, I'll eat something green today. It's all good. But I, I guess for people who are listening to this and wondering, first of all, there's actually, it's an anonymous program called Workaholics Anonymous, and I've never been to a meeting or attended anything, but their literature is fantastic. On their website, um, there's 
just there's print offs or downloads that you can do just like which are signs and signs of or characteristics of workaholism and then characteristics of recovery and really wonderful literature. I recommend it to anybody who's curious um, because you can kind of do they're kind of like quizzes and they're kind of just like indicators. But yeah, I guess for me, I think the most important thing that I've learned about this thing about balance is just to to trust like they have to the, the off switch has got to happen sometimes so for anybody who's wondering about you know now eh, you know am i leaning in that direction uh the simplest question is to ask to ask is like when was the last time you had an uninterrupted period of time focusing on focusing away from work you know and it, if it hasn't you know I, I know um some professionals who I mean, I would never call anybody a workaholic any more than I would tell somebody that has substance use disorder. That's not my business to do that. But, but I do know people. I, you know, and I observe and reflect on on where they're at in their life, and they're where I was. And like anything else, like there, until you start exploring those questions for yourself, you're not you know you know you're not going to address them. You're just going to keep doing it. And so I think it does come down to often these external cues that, that save our lives. You know, if my husband, like my husband, was pretty. I, you know, I don't think it's close to me or anything, but like, he was just so done with me. He was like, whatever, you know, she's just doing her thing. And, and my kids, you know, that really broke my heart to hear my daughters say like, every time we ask you to do something about this, it's no, I'm working. No, I'm working. And that's been going on for four years, mother. Like, why are we here? It's so um, interesting because it's almost as if, um, alcohol in some ways provided the balance to that, that I didn't notice at the time. Right. Because you could go to happy hour after work and you were turning it off and you were relaxing. And, you know, so, so that period of drinking was seen as the counterbalance to the frenetic working. Right. And, but really like, okay, you were there so talking about work. I was there talking about work. Right. But in my mind, that was my turnoff period. Yeah. And then when you stop drinking, this vacuum opens, guess what else provides a huge amount of dopamine keeps you at this highly stimulated makes you feel like you're in momentum and moving forward and contributing and giving which is these feelings that we want to have anyway well it's work you know so it's such a logical thing and then if you make the space where you were drinking you can be really filled up with this thought of like well well what's missing what's happening well this is really uncomfortable i was recently um <clears throat> listening to a talk and this guy was talking about like solitude, right? And he was talking about how somebody had said it was such a good idea to just have time where you're just alone with just a journal or your thoughts and you're just no electronics, nothing, you know, cause we're all alone a lot. We're all alone a lot, but we're very rarely in solitude. We're often engaging, whether it's with a book or with a, a device or whatever it is. And so he was like, so I, I got this idea and I was gonna do an hour a week of just solitude and that was gonna be great. And that hour a week was like literally my skin on fire. Like it was so horrible. And so he ended up running into this monk and he's like, okay, the monk, they must know something about solitude, right? So he goes and he talks to this monk and he's like, so I've been doing this hour a week. Everybody says solitude's the key. Like what's happening to me? And the monk said, oh, so you're, you're pretty busy and you probably feel like you're relatively important in your work. And he's like, yeah, I guess so. And he's like, you need to detox. You need three days of solitude before an hour a week is gonna be enough for a maintenance. Yeah. And sure enough, he said, okay, so he took the three days and the first day was just like the hour, it was absolute misery. The second day he ended up sleeping through half the first of the second day, like he just stayed in bed. And then midday through the second day, he woke up and all of a sudden there was space and peace where there hadn't been for decades because he had to detox all of the thinking, all of the activities that were buzzing around in his brain. And I feel this with myself a lot, like just waking up, thinking about stuff, going to bed, thinking about stuff, never a time. So then yeah. when you try to sit down and be present with your kids, it's literally impossible because you haven't purged genetic activity that's happening in your head. And so after that three days, he was able to go and spend an hour a week. And now every year he does three days again, just to maintenance it. But yeah. these things are so important because Sometimes you have to sit in the pain of the vacuum, you know, the pain of the vacuum of just me and my journal and nothing else. And yeah, that hurts. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Because you're not distracting yourself. Like there's this song by 21 Pilots and it's like the car radio broke in my car and then I'm alone with my thoughts and it's like just so intense. Right. But often we go working, drinking, working, drinking, you know, and then never a time. And then once we are alone, we have any space. It feels like our skin is falling off because uh we're just in pain.
I can tell you, you know, we have, we've been doing, uh, in May, we'll, we'll, we'll have our 20th retreat. She recovers retreat. We've done 19 over five years. And when we send out the schedule and, and I, you know, I, I should have said that really my, our retreats that we do about six times a year, that's my, I'm down. Like I don't work. I, you know, I might check email once a day for five minutes. The rest is like, well, it depends on where we're at. Guacamole, if we're in Mexico, the beach. And when we send out our, our schedule to the women who are coming for the first time and they look at our schedule and it says yoga, breakfast, free time, lunch, free time, yoga, dinner, sharing circle or whatever, like they freak out. They're going like, ah, oh, no, I don't think I can come. Like I need a schedule of things to do. And we're like, well, no, that's why we call our retreats a sacred pause and you're going to be okay. But they come and I love you. It's like, it's about two or three days in, like they're antsy and they're like, oh, I don't know about this. I can't. And by day three or four, they are detoxed and then they get it. And then they're like, ah, I wish I got it the first time, the first day I got here, because now I've only got three days left to revel in this nothingness. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think three days is about right. I think it's, that's really cool. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. If you build those rhythms in, right? If you build a rhythm in where in the morning you're having time alone, just to purge the thinking, you know, just to let the thinking out, let it happen. I mean, I, I know I talk about this all the time, but like literally in a journal, like that's what I do is I just write it all down and let it happen and it's there. Um, and then once a week on the weekend, I try to lose my phone all weekend, but uh, definitely on one day, very intentionally, it is like try very hard to completely disconnect and from anything related to anything besides being present with my family. And it is painful. And I think it is, if, it, if a week or two goes by where I'm traveling over the weekends or something else is happening, that week, that day is more painful than it was before. But as soon as you get in the rhythm and the cadence, then that day becomes the most precious day. Um, but you have to go through the fire almost to get to the other side. And over and over, I feel like all of these things, we just think we need protection from ourselves. We think we need protection from our thoughts and from being alone with ourselves. But really, if you can make the time to sit alone with yourself and sit alone with your thoughts and just say, okay, give me your worst. Like, mm-hmm. I remember I used to think that every time I get in the car, I turn on a book on tape because I was so afraid of where my mind would go if I didn't have something else happening. And this is since college, right? Mm-hmm. I would just turn on a book on tape and just have something else happening. And now it's a podcast or whatever it is. But then now, I like very specifically, I don't turn on anything in the car. And I'm just like, okay, give me your worst. Like, I want to know, just like, blah, spit it all out, like let it happen because that does, it purges and it clears. And then suddenly you can live in a much more peaceful kind of cadence overall. I've had silence in cars since I got into recovery and it was just something that somebody suggested to me like 30 years ago. Like, cause I was, I used to live driving into university. It was like a 40 minute ride home and back. And somebody said, why don't you just use that time kind of as you're checking in with yourself time. So I still don't put any music, unless my grandkids or my husband or somebody's in the car with me and they insist on it. Um, and it really is my time. The other time I have is I, you know, about three months ago, I started like a really pretty much more intensive um, attempt to meditate on a daily basis. And I've just made an interesting transition. I'm in love with Sarah Blondin and her, um, her meditations on Insight Timer. She's just beautiful. She's actually, she lives in British Columbia over here where us Canadians are. The most beautiful, beautiful guided meditations, really. Um, she's coming to LA. She's going to speak at our LA event. And, and I've just kind of, I've listened to her. There's not a lot of them in there. So I've heard them over and over again. And more recently, I've just started using the timer to just listen to, um, just to, to music, like just to different sounds. And it's, it's great. Right. I mean, I spend a lot of time in in solitude and and quiet and I, you know, I'm, I'm really good with that. I love nothing more than being on my own without a device. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying this kind of like freeing up even more space. I don't need somebody's voice to guide me. I can just kind of listen to what's coming up for me. And uh, that's been pretty cool. And one of the coolest things about all of this, and you know me, I always like to take it back to the science, right? So what do the studies say? Yeah. And so I grew up in a household where um, I call my dad like this hilarious term. He would never call himself as, but he's like a Jew boo, like a Jewish Buddhist. So he's... <laughs> by blood he's Jewish but then he lives his life in a very Buddhist like kind of meditation and you know seeking complete solitude growing up like in the cabin in the middle of nowhere 
and stuff. And so I was basically told about meditation and how to meditate since I was very, very young. And I hated it. Like I just completely rebelled against it. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And I didn't actually start um, taking it seriously until uh, about a year after I wrote my book. So it was probably like a year and a half ago now, maybe um, when I started to read some studies about it. And all of a sudden these, you know, centuries of ancient wisdom had been backed up by science and the mm -hmm. science says that as little as like two to three minutes a day on a regular basis can calm your so there's something called like your your heart's ability to recover right so if you're yeah. if you're working out uh, it's i think it's heart rate volatility or something and if you can recover faster if you can keep your cool more if you can something stressful happens you can come back to a peaceful frame of mind faster it affects every single part of your life. It affects your ability to make good decisions. It affects your ability to like, if you're trying to drink less, to drink less, to not snap at your kids, to not get road rage. I mean, every single aspect is affected by your ability to bring yourself back to kind of a center quicker. And meditation does that. It's, yeah. it's phenomenal. And so the, the link scientifically between space and time to just listen to your breath and focus on your breath or to be in solitude and the peace and enjoyment and really true joy. I like to say there was a point in my life where I was like, thought I was happy and I was giggly and tipsy, but I wasn't joyful. And the amount of like joy has a different feeling. It's, it's yeah. thicker. It's, it's bigger. It comes up. It kind of comes up and out. Right. And it, and it spreads and it's not shakable. Yeah. It isn't that something is going to happen, whether it's my, daughter not sleeping through the night or my kids you know he just got braces and now it's like it's like so painful in his mouth and but that's not going to shake it like that's it, it's there anyway you know and and those things are cultivated you know not through the frenetic activity but really through and i i just love when the science backs it up when and then i say okay parents yes you were right <laughs> i believe now you know this all makes sense but it's just for me to see it in the studies um and to really say wow there's there's something to this and it's, it's there so is um, and i you know what you say is so important about even two minutes a day i mean my thing i've been trying to meditate for 30 years and i you know i've gone through periods where i was successful and not so and then this last year in particular i just my commitment is that i'm going to try to meditate for 10 minutes every day and that's just i'm not saying i'm going to meditate every day but i'm going to try once a day to do it for 10 minutes and since I decided that I was just trying, I'm actually doing it like five days a week, right? Where when I was doing it every day, I would do it for three and I'd stop for a month. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just that giving yourself permission to not be perfect, to, to, to do what you can, like just do what you can, right? It's, it's the whole, you know, the way we get into recovery. Like it, I, it, it didn't really succeed when I was, I'm going to quit cocaine and pills and alcohol and everything it was you know mine was gradual i'm like i'm not going to do as much and then i'm not going to do this one thing and and yeah it was just kind of a, a gradual letting go of the things that were killing me inside until i got to that point where i had enough awareness that i actually things were pretty good on this other side of consciousness like on this conscious side of consciousness and yeah it's like uh, i just have to share this one other example because i think it's so profound but there is a guy I know, um, and he was taught to shoot a gun. And so he was brought within one foot of the target and he shot and he made it. And then they backed him up and he shot and he made it. And then they backed him up and they shot and he missed a little bit. So they moved him forward and he shot and he made it. And then they backed him up and he is one of the best shots. Um, like he's better than some sharpshooters in the army and forget what you think about guns or whatever for a minute, that idea of building on success, Yes. is so profound and it's how our brains really work it's how right. it's how a child learns to walk right like they yeah. keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and so often when we're going into things like this i'm going to meditate i'm never going to drink again i'm going to quit everything blah 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 we set these impossible goals and then beat ourselves up for failure and it's the mm -hmm. exact opposite of of the the principle of frankly grace of like let's build on success let's set these micro goals you know like i started my meditation practice with um and I'm, I'm surprised i even call it a meditation practice now because i was so far from that literally i'd set the timer on my phone 
And I had to do that to stop my thoughts because I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't do it on my own. And I said it for twice a day. And when it went off, I just had to take three deep breaths and look around and realize I'm in this room. I'm sitting down. I'm talking to Dawn. This is what's happening. And that was it. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I really like that. That, that tiny little pause for 15 seconds built into something really magnificent where now like if I can get a half an hour, an hour to myself to just sit, like I'm so stoked about that, um, especially with the crazy kids and everything. But before that would terrify me. I was a person who had to put the podcast on every single time I was alone for three seconds because I couldn't handle my own dialogue. And so, but that idea, that principle of building on success is just not what we teach. We teach, set these impossible goals and then beat yourself up when you fail. And, and if, um, you, if you're feeling the benefit, I mean, once you start to feel the benefit, I, I often reflect on, you know, um, in our, we have like a huge online community. I know you have a large following as well. And women who are talking about, like they're still in their life and they're still like, they're, they're, they're sober, they're not drinking, but they're in, in a drinking culture and, you know, they're, all of this or everybody drinks in all of their circles at all of their, all of their social events. And so it's so hard and they can't think how they can ever, ever live a life without alcohol until they go to a meetup with a bunch of sober women, or they come to a retreat or they go to a workshop or they just have a one-on-one -on -one coffee with one other woman that they met online. And then that experience lights up their brain in, to the possibility of, Oh, I can feel like this, I can have this amazing exchange or this amazing day or this amazing couple of days. And like, I'm leaving so wired on the possibility that I could actually do something without alcohol. And then they, you know, do something a little bit more on that. I, I see it. I see it all the time, you know, with women who I meet, they just, they haven't yet had that brain experience of feeling the, I just like to say feeling the possibility of recovery. They just haven't had it yet. And once they have it, then they go, they, they want it more. And that doesn't mean that they don't go home and, smoke a joint or have a drink or whatever but but it just sets that like okay like I have that that glimpse into another way of being and another there's way. nothing that changes your mind your unconscious beliefs more than your own experience yeah. so if you set those micro commitments if you allow yourself to do one night out without a drink right and just see what it's like and you go into it with this experimental mindset instead of this mindset of oh but this is going to be miserable because I'm not drinking which will guarantee it will be miserable all of a sudden you allow yourself that experience and then you have this possibility. And it's like the same with, you know, the building on success, that micro commitment, guess what? It feels good to hit the target. It feels really good to hit the target. And you're like, okay, maybe I want to hit the target twice. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. I want to move back and hit a, a longer target. Maybe I want to do a whole week. And, and that idea is just so foundational to how our brains actually learn um, that it's just, it's just amazing. Um, I love micro commitment. I love the concept of micro commitment. That's, that's beautiful. It's so cool. And it's just building on wins, you know, just build yeah. on your wins and, and just yeah. not tolerate. Focusing on our strengths, not our defects. Yeah. You know what? I, no didn't broken people. I didn't do heroin today. Awesome. I smoked a lot of pot. It's good. It's a good day. I am. Um, it's so cool because we were, I was just, you know, similar to what you did with, with your guiding principles and stuff. I've been really kind of thinking a little bit about, about stuff like that. And, and one of my, my big ones is just that, you know, there are no broken people. Like no. there just aren't, you know? That's and, great. and I think that we just need to show ourselves how we're not broken. And this is one of those ways by building on the things we know we can do and being successful with those instead of sending, setting these goals that are going to make any human feel like they're broken because the goals are impossible. Um, but anyway, I have two more questions for you because I already- Oh my goodness, I'm taking time. your whole day here. No, this is so awesome. So um, first of all, where can people find you? And you know, if they're interested in these retreats or they're interested in your LA event, like where can people go? Well, everything is on our website at this moment. So www.sherecovers.co, not .com, long story. Um, and on there that you will find, we have a reading room where your book is on there, but I need to update it to the, the newest version with the new cover. So I'll be doing that today. We have a, a page of free resources and I'm going to add your, your the podcast, which as I said to you earlier, I didn't even know you were doing a podcast. Um, so there's free resources on there. There um, You can find uh, a link to our under about, there's a work you know information about who we are and also our philosophy which is just basically this at this time the retreats are on there most of the 2018 retreats are full but we do have a few spots in a couple of them um 
the LA event is we're doing She Recovers in LA. We did She Recovers in New York City in May and we had 500 women and you know, keynote speakers were Marianne Williamson and Glennon Doyle and Gabby Bernstein and Elizabeth Vargas. And we had, you know, a, a sober blogger team there. And it was just, it was wonderful. It was in um, the Conrad Hotel in New York City. And we decided we need to do it again. So uh, September 14th to 16th, we're going to LA. We booked the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Um, Cheryl Strait is one of our keynotes. Um, we're not, we're just signing contracts. So we haven't actually announced all of the others. We have room for um, we're selling 500 registrations and we've sold 200 in a week and it's just going to be a remarkable time. I think, you know, Sarah Blondin's going to be there. Emily, um, sorry, Amy Dresner is going to be there. Um, Biet Simkin. Oh my gosh, Tara Moore. So Tara Moore, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Tara Moore's Playing Big. It's just everybody in recovery should read this book. It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so we're just, and we're just finalizing some other speakers. It's going to be great. Uh, it's just really, we're, it's going to be about celebration and conversation. Um, and I think we'll end off the weekend with a call to action to everybody to kind of how can we go away and on, on two levels, both as individuals continue on our healing journey, but also, uh, you know, how are we going to help other women find what we found? Um, so cool. we've a lot of, because we do retreats in Mexico, we were in Bali this year you know, we're obviously hitting a segment of the market that can afford to do the types of things that we host. We have workshops. We're going to San Francisco in two weeks. We've done them in LA and Seattle. Um, and what we're really looking for now is we're just really trying to um, kind of create a supportive system with some partnerships with the nonprofit and, and others where we can make our offerings accessible to more women. We get that not everybody can afford to go to Mexico or even come to a workshop in San Francisco. San Francisco is the most expensive place on earth. Who knew? Um, so this next year is really about increasing um, diversity and accessibility for to women. We started a, a secret Facebook page on Sunday, um, just because a, a group that is closing and, uh, you know, there's a couple of groups have kind of sprung up out of this closing. Um, we planned for, oh my gosh, for years, people have been asking us to have a secret Facebook group for She Recovers. And I just, I was members of these other groups. I had, I felt no need. I felt like everybody was just taking care of, of women looking for, for that type of more um, private sharing and, and um, supporting. Um, but yeah, it was time and we had decided we were gonna do it January 1st, but I was in Mexico, so it never got done. And we launched it the other day. And we, you know, so we've got several hundred women in there supporting and connecting and empowering each other. Yeah, and we're gonna actually, you know, a little bit different maybe than some of the other groups is we're gonna have, we have this like a daily thing where a prompt, so we've got like Mindful Monday, and I think Tuesday is about books, so this will be timely for that, and Wednesday is Wellness Wednesday, we wanna focus on body. Um, Thursday is Share Your Thing Thursday, just people, you know, all sorts of people have gifts that we wanna hear about. Friday is Where You're From Friday, because we want people to be able to connect geographically. Um, Saturday is share your wins because we're all about strength-based approaches. And so how do people uh, find that group to join? Yeah, that's the harder one right now. Um, you have to, you have to friend Dorothy Ray, D-O-R-O-T-H-Y Ray, R-A-E. That's not a real person. My middle name and my late mother's name is Dorothy and Taryn's middle name is Ray. So we have Dorothy Ray and it's a picture. Um, the picture in the profile is uh, women and mala bracelets, hands like hands joined with mala bracelets. And if you send a friend request, all you do is send a friend request to Dorothy Ray and uh, one of our admins will um, let you in. Okay, it's like a awesome. secret knock. That's, a, that's cool. It's that's for women cool. only, uh, you know, women, uh, people who identify as women. And yeah, that's happening. Very cool. All right. So my last question, um, yeah. and I ask this of every guest, but oh, what would you tell Dawn of, you know, both 30 years ago and of seven years ago, uh, really about what life is like kind of on the other side of, you know, what you were saying earlier, the conscious, conscious journey. Yeah. Would it be the same thing 30 and seven years ago? Um, You can do one at a time. I think time. it would just kind of be something around you are intrinsically worthy of a better life, of a happier life. Like that there's, there's no qualifications. You can just, and then I, you know, and I just, I would just say you can do it. Like I say that all the time to people, like you can do it. Like I know you can do it. 
um, because I didn't have enough people in my life telling me I could do it, that I could do anything growing up. I didn't have that kind of confirmation um, externally from my family. Um, so I think you can do it and you are intrins intrinsically worthy of having it. That, that's what works for me today. You know, even now I like this, you know how everybody, not everybody, a lot of people do this like word thing of the year. My words have progressed from ask, believe to like where this year is the scariest one of all because I'm like, I'm, it's, I'm going to receive. And that means I'm like, I pu I've put this project out into the world. I've worked my butt off to do that. I'm just going to see what happens now. I'm not and I'm not chasing down people to tell them about us or to support us. It's just, uh, you know what? I, it's like you, we know our work matters and that the people who need us are going to find us. And I'm just, I just have to open myself up to being less um, concerned about how many find us or how the money comes or any of that. It's just, I'm just going to receive, you know, I'm worth it intrinsically. I'm worth it. I, and I can do it. So that's what I'm going to do. That's so awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Don. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. I think the topic, you know, especially work addiction, workaholism, it's just so important. And it's so important for high achievers who stop drinking because <laughs> that's where it goes. And you know, I love, yeah. Sorry, I started to interrupt. I, just, I love talking about it rather than, you know, talking about my addiction when it was, you know, back then. It was, you know what? Yeah, I did all that stuff. I was promiscuous. I was a mess. I was suicidal. Eight overdoses, like all that stuff. It's just so boring to talk about for me. Well, you so should talk about where it is, like what's real. And I, and I think it's just such a relevant topic. I mean, if, if somebody is a really high achiever and, uh, you know, in love with their job and is addicted to their job and stops drinking, yeah. that, that is something to watch. Like you yeah. need to watch that because it can, in a very real way, destroy your relationships with your kids. Yeah. All of a sudden you blink and they're grown and they're gone your relationship with your spouse, you blink yeah. and they're finding, you know, different companionship or whatever the case is. Life is too precious. May I just say also that people can find us on Facebook, like just a regular She Recovers. We have a Facebook page of about 267,000 people and we share, you know, lots of resources and inspiration over there as well. Yeah, it's so cool. I love your page. It's a great page. She Recovers on Facebook. Well, thank you, Dawn. Thank you so much for joining and being here. Well, thank you for putting your work out into the world. I'm really excited to know there's a podcast. I can share about that. And, and also, you know, congratulations on this next edition of your book, Annie, you're saving lives. And, and I'm just so honored to um, consider you a peer and a friend. I really am. Yeah, me too. I feel the same about you. Thank you so much. All right. Next time, don't get pregnant before and come to LA. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm supposed to be there. Nine months pregnant. Didn't work. But yeah, I'll be there. I'll be great. Back. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, everybody. Bye. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.